I never got any money from you. Be normal. And now, Mr. Edwards, I would like to make a disclosure, which is something which has never been revealed to the public. This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. The Saucer Life is a podcast in which we explore concepts, events, or people from the world of flying saucers. No preconceptions, not too much snark, no belief, no debunking. This is Encounter 52, Listener Question Extravaganza Part 2. And we are finishing up our selection of listener questions today. It's a shorter episode than the last one, but I wanted to finish up some of these questions. Please pardon a higher proportion of I have no idea answers compared to last time. Okay, let's get started. A listener and emailer asked, I'm curious about any overlap between paranormal stuff and end-of-the-world stuff. Well, the first thing that pops into my head is the situation we discussed in Encounters 402 and 403 about Dorothy Martin and the, the sort of doomsday light cult that grew up around the messages she was channeling back in the 1950s. Um, the whole when prophecy fails sort of storyline. The second thing, which isn't entirely connected, but that's how my time, mind tends to work. It's oblique, quirky, charmingly discombobulated. Anyway, second thing that comes to mind is something called Project Blue Beam, which a Canadian writer and researcher Serge Monast described back in the 90s as a holographic technology that could, that could and would be used to deceive the masses somehow. Different conspiracy theorists have posited different scenarios where this could be used. And I think Monast's work promoted the fake second coming of Christ uh, scenario. Bill Cooper was fond of the fake UFO invasion angle along the same lines. And either way, the end result was to be somehow um, an impetus for a, for a dictatorial one-world government. I've also seen a number of, of Christian analyses of the UFO phenomenon, especially abduction, that categorize it as a form of end-time delusion to draw people away from the faith. And probably the best or most interesting interview about this I've heard was on an old episode of The Paranet Continuum with Michael Corbin, which was a great show. If you go to archive.org, a, a lot, not all, but a lot of the episodes are up there. He talked to a Greek Orthodox priest about it, commenting, com, comment, commenting, commenting on, on an essay um, that was written by a Greek Orthodox bishop. And, and there's a link to that, uh, to that essay in the show notes. The next question comes from Twitter, uh, Mike Warren on Twitter. Um, he asks, I'd like to know if anyone has researched religious phenomena like stigmata and crying virgin statues as a way of furthering the co-creation hypothesis. I do not talk about the co-creation hypothesis because it's way over my head. I hear Greg Bishop talk about it and my brain gets fuzzy and I feel like I'm struggling through freshman year philosophy again. And that is that is an endorsement. That's like my highest endorsement of a UFO idea is, is, is that it's 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 too much for me intellectually to, to handle. Um, as far as religious phenomenon go, my, my favorite, and this isn't co-creation or or sort of bleeding tears stigmata related, but my favorite has to be the 1917 Fatima um, apparition. Apparition? Apparition. I cannot pronounce words today. 
it's the 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 Fatima thing has has fueled so much stuff from UFO theories to bizarre kind of trad Catholic conspiracy theories to end times prophecy to new world order stuff. Um, I need to do a show about Fatima. I think that would be that would be good. Uh, scholar David Halperin, who also wrote the book Journal of a Oh Journal of a UFO believer journal of a teenage ufo addict um it's on my shelf just a second i'm getting it journal of a ufo investigator sorry that was uh we are live we are we are live. We are live to tape here in the Chizo Media Studio for this. So David Halperin, Journal of a UFO Investigator, he wrote an article about topics related uh, to this a bit, and it's linked in the show notes as well. So you can get some thoughts from someone who um, you know knows what they're talking about. From Instagram, Medium Cheddar asks. We all recognize the phrase going down the rabbit hole as it relates to UFO and conspiracy theory fields. You start out questioning the mainstream narrative, end up estranged from reality. For some, that means being channeled toward harmful beliefs and extremist ideologies. Do you see a way the field can counteract this? Okay, no, I don't. It's the nature of the beast. Um, I, I don't think the field can counteract it without being accused of having become part of the mainstream narrative itself. And then then you get sort of tangential parallel rabbit holes, really. So, no, I, I don't think there's any useful way for that. Anyway, next. Can you recommend best practices for saucer media? Um, sort of going back to what I, to what I said in the last episode about um, advice for researchers, I, th- I think advice for saucer media that that intends to and claims to have an investigatory journalistic role is is verify sources. Um, don't be sensational. Think about what you're saying. Think about the implications of what you're saying, and and, and then decide whether or not you you have the evidence to back up what you're saying. Be very careful to not conflate what somebody has said with what has actually been proven uh, been proven to be true. I think the safest way to um, to go about doing this is 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 to stay in the in the theoretical realms or or the historical realms as all the stuff I do and all the stuff I enjoy listening to seems to do. Um, if you're if you're going to be a a UFO journalist, you should be um, held to the same standards as as other investigative journalists, and I think UFO media should uh, should do that and um, and avoid getting excited by press releases. I see a lot of this um, just today as I'm recording this. There is a a new show on the History Channel coming out on the you know, sort of based on the TTSA stuff. Tom DeLong is executive producer, and everybody's getting very excited. Dude, it's a press release. Let's actually wait and see the show first. Um, getting very excited about things that have yet to materialize is a a very flying saucer sort of thing. 
To what extent do I attribute blame to bad actors, content curation algorithms, cross-pollination among fringe communities, etc.? I don't know enough about algorithms to speak to that. Uh, Bad actors, I think there are some of those. I'm going to play the some stuff is out there because there are people who want that stuff out there for reasons that have nothing to do with anything you might think they are, and we need to be aware of that card. I'm, I'm playing that card. Also, um, cross-pollination among fringe communities. One of the most recent manifestations of this, I think, is the increasing overlap between some aspects of ufology and conspiracy theories such as QAnon. Um, If you're familiar with QAnon, you know what that means. If you are not familiar with QAnon, you're kind of lucky, and I envy you. A little bit back in December, when I was on the air with uh, with my good pals Tim Banal, Adam Go Rightly, and Jack Brewer, I talked about this in sort of an abstract way, in the sense that both QAnon and, and certain manifestations of the disclosure is constantly being prevented by the bad guys conspiracy theories are, are both positive conspiracy theories. Something good is coming. Everything will change for the better. We true believers just need to hold on for a little longer and all the bad guys will be defeated and humiliated and we will be proven right to everybody at Thanksgiving dinner who thought we were crazy. Um, Nisara, if you're familiar with that, um, is the same sort of thing. You know, It's coming, it's coming. The white hats are going to fix everything. Lately, it seems the links between QAnon and the UFO thing have become a little bit more explicit. Uh, There's a new book that ended up being a bestseller on Amazon that collects, it calls them essays, but they're, they're, I mean, in some cases, I'm pretty sure they are transcribed YouTube ramblings uh, about things. But one delves into the UFO question a bit, uh, at least one essay. Uh, does, as well as going into the old Antarctic bases in, um, sorry, Nazi bases in Antarctica, Chestnut. Now, in a more general sense, um, as far as rabbit holes and and cross-pollination between various fringe groups, one thing that I've seen bits and pieces of over the years that is, um, that, that is, that is, that I hope stays in the fringe, and, and I'd prefer to go away completely, is the racialization of, of space beings. Uh, good aliens seeded certain races on Earth, and evil aliens seeded other races on Earth, that sort of thing. We saw this a little bit with Elizabeth Clarer back, way back, um, over a year ago, almost two years ago, in, um, in one of our first episodes where we had that sort of South African take on, uh, on, on, on contact and, uh, and abduction. Um, you see this in, in the writings of Billy Meyer. Uh, you see it most strongly in Billy Meyer's writings uh, when you're not reading a translation from Wendell Stevens, who cleaned up a lot of the uh, the the sort of rabid anti-Semitism in uh, in Billy Meyer's stuff, and and also in in the the ramblings of a, a little known guy named Clark McClelland. Uh, McClelland was a NASA employee. He was a a spacecraft control operator. Basically, he did all the spacecraft stuff on the ground. He he wasn't an astronaut or anything. He, he said he worked for NASA from the, the 50s to the 90s. And there's documentation that he did work for NASA during that time in some capacity. In the 90s, he was fired. Uh, and as he never lets anybody forget, lost his uh, lost his pension and and is now 
is now penniless, if indeed he is still alive. I'm not sure. He claims to have seen an alien of some kind during his time at NASA, but and that's why he was fired for talking about this. But what always jumps out at me about his story is an aspect of it that that developed over time, and that is that 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 is that that Clark claims to to be descended from the people inhabiting the Aldebaran star system. Aldebaran, he explains, is where the Aryan race comes from. Yeah. So he he told these stories on a relatively well-known show that deals with conspiracy theories, the paranormal, and and racial nationalism. And uh, many of you probably know the show I'm I'm talking about. He he claims that he's been writing a book. He was writing a book anyway and selling it selling PDFs of the chapters, some of which were like five pages long for three bucks a piece. He's up to 20 some chapters. This is going to be the most expensive UFO book ever. Um, he said that he, he could not get the book published any other way because the media was controlled by a certain ethnic group. I will give you three guesses about which ethnic group he was talking about. And the first two don't count. Now, a lot of these connections between ufology and, and far, far right-wing politics, um, it, it, it goes back a while. Ernst Zundel, Holocaust denier Ernst Zundel, was one of the focal points for this back in, the, I believe, the 70s. And there's a whole show we can do about this at some point, obviously. Okay, shorter question from email. When are the guest voices coming back? Ah, yes, when I get organized enough to get material to Roberta, Nelson, and Sasha without, you know, saying, I need this by now. Um, yeah, that's really rude. Uh, so we, and we've got some things coming up that have some women's voices. So at the very least, Roberta and Sasha will be returning sooner rather than later. Rod Mehta from Twitter asks, would you mind giving your opinion on UFO, paranormal, poltergeist phenomenon and the work of Walter von Lukadu and or Eric Ouellette? Uh, I'm not familiar enough with Ouellette's writing to a comment effectively, and I'm not familiar with uh, von Lukadu at all. I'm sorry. I probably should get familiar with them. But um, I, I like I said last time, I'm not doing homework for this uh, for these questions. It's trying to be as off the top of my head as possible. Um, T. Erickson asks on Twitter, how far back in time have you found people talking and taking advantage of saucers and high strangeness? And Rusty Shackelford um, asks in a, in a similar vein, what's the earliest example of the idea that weird things in the sky were associated with people from other planets? Um, these are related and complex ideas that are really difficult to pin down. Um, to speak to the high strangeness idea, I think we can start, probably start to at some point start to see a shift from a predominantly spiritual view of the world to a more materialistic one during the enlightenment in, in the European context anyway. So, so what we call high strangeness today has always been there, but, you know, given a different interpretation, a, a, sort of straightforward, wink, wink, religious explanation rather than a more tentative Fortean one. As far as which, you know, when this shift takes place, I, I think it depends on on who you are and, and where you are. Um, 
scholars of the natural science and natural history start talking in less spiritual terms in the seven in the 1600s, 1700s, especially the 1800s. Um, people who are looking at these things from a less rigorous, credentialed scientific viewpoint. I'm not sure that in some circles that shift ever, um, ever, ever takes place. As as far as people from other planets, we see references to uh, other worlds or realms or inhabitants of these worlds, but these realms are are very sort of vaguely defined. Um, not necessarily other planets until we get the astronomical knowledge to sort of understand what these, uh, what these planets are. Now, um, the, uh, oh, I, I freaked the, we did an episode a while back uh, about some, uh, some channeling stuff from the 19th century that goes into some of this. So, so at least in the 19th century, we were seeing other planets earlier on than that. We see, you know, these worlds or realms inhabited by angels, for example, in, in some of John Dee's work in Elizabethan England. And I've got a book by someone from the 19th century calling themselves uh, Philos the Tibetan, uh, which contains channeled information from various sources from other sort of etheric or spiritual realms. 70 years later, this absolutely would have been a book that would have fit in the flying saucer context. Not a satisfying answer, but uh, it filled a little bit more time than, uh, I don't know. Okay, so the next question comes from an emailer and asks, are you going to do any sort of Patreon thing or stuff like that? Not right now. I've got some ideas about some stuff. Um, I, I don't, uh, how do I explain this? This stuff takes time, a lot of time, a lot of times, and it costs money. And um, it's, I don't want to make money, but I'd rather not lose money. And I don't want to do ads because podcast ads are, are in my opinion, pretty terrible. I don't want to be in a situation where where I have to do something like, and then Adamski said, Orthon told me he's from Venus. You know what's not from Venus are the great meals you can uh, you can cook at home with Blue Apron. You know, I it, it just doesn't work uh, for for what I do. So so you know, I, I don't want to put ever any ads on this stuff. But um, be nice to make some money somehow. So a tip jar, extra junk on Patreon. Who knows. Um, We'll see. I'm not. Uh, I'm not threatening anything, but I'm not not threatening anything. Regardless of whatever happens in the future, know that the show, as you enjoy it right now, every two weeks or so, with no ads whatsoever, um, will continue. Jason Ellsworth on Twitter asks if you could. I lost it. Where is it? There it is. We're live. Uh, if you could have been present at just one UFO event, which one would you choose? Adamski meets Orthon, Desert Center, California, 1952. Honorable mention, I want to be in the plane with Kenneth Arnold in 1947 to see the chevron-shaped things skipping like saucers. From Twitter, Club... Club Droda? Club Droda on Twitter. I reckon that Jose Chung's It Came From Outer Space, 
Jose Chung's From Outer Space um, is actually the most realistic X-Files episode because it captures the same kind of high strangeness that John Keel and the Hellier documentary don't overlook. Am I alone in thinking this? Um, if by realistic you mean the most realistic presentation of the paranormal, yeah. I, 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 no, I mean, no, you're not alone with this. Yes, I think that's that's correct. Uh, it's one of my favorite episodes, uh, not just because of the the high strangeness high strangeness that it emphasizes, but also the way it uses the multiple perspectives of the different characters to highlight the way that some of these phenomenon can look to different people at the same time. And um, you know, as a wrestling fan, I I appreciate Jesse Ventura's presence. And, um, and, and just as a human, I appreciate the presence of Alex Trebek and, um, thoughts and prayers out to Alex Trebek as he, he battles, uh, battles cancer. Alex Trebek is, um, I love Alex Trebek. And with that, we are done. Thank you so much for the questions that you sent in. We'll probably do this again in the future sometime, probably not for, uh, episode 100, Probably before that, hopefully before that. Hopefully we get to an episode 100, though. We'll see. Um, But thanks. Next time, uh, we respond to um, a person on Twitter who had a question about a topic. We are going to be talking about Dr. in quotes, Reverend, also in quotes, Frank E. Strangis and his buddy Valiant Thor, who came from, I believe, Venus. And it's the rare space brother that we actually have pictures of, I guess. Um, so tune in. It's a, it's a weird story with a lot of weird elements that come in and go different places. And it's, it's very odd. So tune in next time for Encounter 52, A Valiant Effort. The Saucer Life Encounter 51 was a production of Chizo Media LLC, And you can find us at SaucerLife.com, on Twitter at SaucerLife, on Instagram at SaucerLife, and via email at TheSaucerLife at gmail.com. Until next time, keep watching the skies, because the skies are watching you. (laughs) 